0: Paul kind of gets in, uh, into this issue of prayer uh, right before he ends this letter, and the board was down in Dallas last week, I mentioned that to you guys, and uh, Michael McKinney, who's on the board, uh, was just sharing, and and I've been hearing a lot recently from him, just how God is stirring in him and, and welling up in him, just uh, lots of things in regards to prayer. So I just thought, Mike, why don't you take the text this week, because Paul is going to get into uh, prayer, what that means, and how that kind of summarizes and lands us well in this letter, um, so I thought it'd be great. Just beneficial for someone who's been stirred in that way personally. I know those are uh, some of the most effective ways that you can preach is uh, what God is doing in you that just flows out of you. So uh, Mike's going to bring the word this morning, thankful for him. Um, why don't I just take a minute and pray for Mike, and, uh, and then we'll, 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 uh, we'll sit under the word. So Father, thank you that your word is uh, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, authoritative, divinely written for our good, for our joy, and the glory of your name. Thank you that we have it. Thank you that there's written revelation that we don't need to add to or take away from. And uh, God, that it holds all that we need for walking rightly and understanding the things of you. God, clear our heads this morning. I'm sure a lot of us come to this room with a thousand thoughts and anxieties and burdens and feelings. May you uh, free us from those things so we can hear clearly. God, would you deafen our ears to things that are not of you and open our ears wide to the things that you want for us to know and hear. Be with Mike, may he preach what you would have to say to us, may we be receptive, may we take it, walk with it, and appropriately apply it to our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't have my, uh, my glasses on, so you guys
1: just look a big, like a big, giant blur right now, um, which is okay, because then I can't tell if you guys like my sermon or not, so I'm good. Uh, recently, I don't know, uh, maybe a few months ago, I took part in this uh, Q&A uh, with a guy by the name of uh, Tim Keller. I don't know if you've heard of him before. Uh, he's a pastor in New York City. But anyways, uh, he just it's really amazing. He just kind of takes any questions uh, from anybody who, who follows him. And someone had asked him this question. heres I just wrote it down. They asked him, what's one piece of advice you would tell your younger self? Right? And here's his answer. I would tell him that prayer is way more important than he thinks. That's the one thing he would tell tell his younger self. In other words, he would go back to his 20-year-old self and say, hey, buddy, I know you're a Christian. I know you love Jesus. And I know you like to pray every now and then. I know that you think prayer is really important. But however important you think prayer is, it is way more important than that. I, I didn't know what to do with that because um, I'm 29 now, I'm, so I'm, I'm coming to the end of my 20s. So I've, I've already lost some time here. Um, i got to be honest, that scared the absolute mess out of me. I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, and I think that if, if Paul the Apostle, bear with me here, if you're on Twitter, okay, he, he would say, amen. Amen, brother. And the reason why that is is because we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and at the beginning of Ephesians, in the middle, and now towards the end, he makes any time he's talking about experiencing the Father in more di- deeper ways, experiencing Christ in much more intimate ways, experiencing the power of God in our lives in much more intimate ways, he always connects it with prayer, period. For example, Ephesians 1, at the beginning of the book, he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory... May give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. What's the first thing he says? I pray that you would experience this. No prayer, no experience. And then Ephesians 3, right in the middle of the book, he says... I pray, verses 16 through 19, if you're following with me, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I pray that you would know this. And he does the exact same thing with the spiritual armor of God. He connects it with prayer. No prayer, you don't experience this. So I think it's very appropriate that if I am going to preach on prayer, which if, I think if we're all honest, it's an area that we, we struggle with, it's an area that, that we're weak in. Uh, so I desperately need God's help uh, to pray on this serious and weighty topic. So if you wouldn't mind, just, just bow bowing your heads real quick. Our great, good Father, King of the universe, King over all, your renown and your greatness in your name reverberates throughout the universe. And we praise you. Lord, we confess that we do not, our hearts do not incline towards you in prayer as much as it should. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, O Lord, by the blood of Christ. We appeal to him. Grant us hearts today. Stir us up to continue steadfastly in prayer, to experience you in more powerful ways, and that the cares of this world would grow dim and find you to be the greatest treasure that any man could ever ask for. And we pray these things in his awesome and mighty name. Amen. Okay, so uh, I'm just going to real quick uh, read back through Ephesians chapter 6 on the spiritual armor of God. If you guys want to follow with me, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Okay, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Again, strength here, experiencing the strength of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We have an enemy. Four, because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. My verse today, verse 18. Praying. He doesn't end the armor of God with a period. He continues it with praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Okay. There are uh, four things I would like to accomplish today. Four things. First, I want to, uh, by God's grace, put back upon our shoulders the weight and the significance of, of prayer. I want us to to feel that. That's my first goal, okay? Second, I want to talk about the characteristics of prayer that I see in verse 18. And towards the end, I want to to get very practical. I want to talk about why some of us don't pray. Why some of us don't pray. What are some of the hindrances to our personal prayer life? And lastly, I want to get very practical and give you guys a very basic plan of how to pray. Okay, I want us to feel the weight talk about some characteristics of prayer, talk about why we don't pray, and then talk about how to pray. You follow that? So first, let's, let's feel the weight. Let's put the weight back on. Start to feel that weight again. If you notice, Paul concludes his treatise on the spiritual armor of God with the most essential thing, not weapon. This is not a weapon. Because he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't compare prayer to another weapon analogy. In other words, put the weapons on, put the armor on, oh, and all the while, do this, called, this, do this thing called prayer. There's two different things, two very, very different things. And here's the thing I want you guys to see. This is big. Prayer is the power that puts the armor of God to work. You should probably write that down. Prayer is the very power that puts the armor of God to work. Okay? Okay? None of these defenses will work if your prayer life is dry. You can get all amped up, especially men. I want a sword. Sword of the Spirit, that's pretty awesome. But if your prayer life is dry, none of this is going to happen. None of this is going to come to fruition. Why? Because all the armor of God, here's, I think here's the key. All the armor of God are things that we can know intellectually, cognitively. Right? I can know the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I can know the breastplate of righteousness, Christ's righteousness given to me. I can explain that. I can explain the gospel of peace. I can explain the hope of salvation, the helmet. But prayer is the very thing that enables you to experience that in your own personal life. I'm going to put it to you this way. You can believe someone who tells you that honey is sweet. You would be like, yeah, I believe you. You can look at a jar of honey and say, yep, that's honey, that's honey." I know that intellectually speaking here. But then you can dip your finger into the honey and taste it and know it's sweet. We can know the armor of God, but prayer is what the, is the very thing that enables us to actually experience it in profound ways in our lives. Some of us may know the Bible, understand the armor, but have never actually tasted the sweetness of taking the sword of the Spirit and slaying some besetting sin in your life and gaining victory. You follow me? Weak prayer equals weak soldier. Weak prayer equals weak soldier, period. And by weak, I think here's what I mean. It's forced. You don't really find joy in doing it. You just kind of write people you should pray for, just kind of go through it real fast. Or maybe you only pray for things when when life goes bad. Um, Prayer is the only way that you and I are going to experience an invigorating, joy filled, life giving power with the living triune God. Only through prayer. That's the first goal. You feel that weight? It's weighty. I want, I want us to feel that weight again. Okay? Okay, okay, Mike, thanks for the weight, but what do we do? How do we pray? What does this prayer look like? So let's get into the details of verse 18. Talk about the characteristics of prayer. First, it's opportunistic. It's opportunistic. The first four words: praying at all times. Now I think in evangelicalism we put a little too much condemnation and burden upon people saying you gotta pray every single day, every second of every single day. Period. I have two problems with that. You gotta sleep sometime. And number two, the liter- it literally reads, the actual reading is, at every opportunity. That's what it actually means. Which is why I call it opportunistic. Why does it need to be at every single opportunity? Because the flaming darts of Satan And the temptations in your own sinful flesh are constantly waging war against your soul. Men, Satan would love to destroy your family. And he will do whatever it takes to flare up that sin in your life. Whatever that little besetting sin in your life, he he is going after it because he wants to destroy that family. He wants to destroy this church, which is why we have to pray at every single opportunity. But here's the most difficult thing. Our heart and soul's bent is lukewarmness. We just want to settle, right? You just just want to find the rhythm, you just just want to settle. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not not like boxing. You don't just fight and then the bell rings and you just take a seat at all. It's a lifelong war until the day you die. I heard this story. About this this pastor who sent this missionary out to go preach the gospel to people who'd never heard the gospel before. Long story short, within a few years, they discovered that he was addicted to prostitution. Uh, So then, you know, everyone's freaking out, everyone's getting sad. And then he comes back home, and the pastor, "What, what happened? And he goes, I just got tired. I just got tired of fighting my sin and fighting temptation. I just got tired. It must be at every single opportunity because the flaming darts of Satan in your own sinful flesh are constantly waging war against your own soul. Friends, the infinite pleasures of the Lord come through laboring in prayer. Romans 15, verse 30 says, Paul says, strive with me together in prayer. Strive literally means agonize, fight, contest, battle. And we must do this at every opportunity. But how are we supposed to pray, though? Okay, this leads us to the second characteristic. So first is opportunistic. Second, it's in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit, verse 18. Uh, Let me just very quickly explain what praying in the Spirit does not mean. It does not mean praying in tongues. Here's how I know that. Because all Christians are not expected to pray at all times in the tongues. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, Don't worry, this is not a a sermon on tongues. Um, This is expected of all Christians at all times, at every single opportunity, in the spirit. Another thing I don't think it means is to just simply pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to pray for today? Uh, This, the reason why I don't think that's the case is because experientially, and biblically speaking, my own heart and flesh is wicked and sinful and will cause me to pray for things that God does not necessarily want me to pray for. Or I may think I'm praying for a good thing, but I'll pray for the wrong motives. So that can't be what praying in the Spirit means. So what does it mean? Two things. Number one, it means praying the Spirit's words. And he's given us his words in Scripture, the Bible. Second Peter chapter 1, I think it's going to be up here, verses 20-21 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Scripture was given birth, inspired by, written by, ultimately, the Holy Spirit. He's given us his words. So in other words, what do I mean by this? Real prayer, full of power and joy and affection, is given birth by being deep in the Spirit's words. It gives birth to what we should pray for. It guides us in what we should pray for and how we should pray. This is why many of us, I think, find our prayers so forced and aimless, because we're not letting Scripture lead us to God-exalting things to pray for, Christ-exalting things to pray for. Be patient with me. We're going to get towards the end. We're going to get really practical and explain to you what I mean in praying the Spirit's words. Furthermore, the reason why I think it means praying the Spirit's words, because in verse 17 of Ephesians 6, it says... And the sword of the Spirit, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, comma, praying at all times in the Spirit. Take up the, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Spirit, word, Spirit. Spirit, word, Spirit. It's centered around the word of God. I, think that's what, I think, also think that's what it's getting at. And let me just throw one more in here. First John 5, 1 John 5 verse 14 says, "And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that's God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. How do you know his will? Right here. It's right there. That's where his will is. That's, where we, that's how we know what to pray, how to pray. It's right there, praying the Spirit's words. Our Heavenly Father is a good Father. He's good. And good fathers teach their children how to pray. And he's given us his words here and how to do that. But I have to say, there's some of us that just, there are times in our life when we are so burdened and weary that we don't even know what to say. No matter how much we read the Bible, we can't even get words out. Hang on, a amen? amen. So the second thing I think praying in the Spirit means is He prays for you when you don't know what to say. Where do I get that? Romans 8. Verses 26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought spirit and prayer but the spirit himself intercedes for us that is profound with groanings too deep for words and he that's the father and the father searches hearts who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes For the saints according to the will of God. Here's what this looks like. Let me get, let's get on the ground, okay? Let's say that I am experiencing a very difficult time at work. Or I don't have a job. Or I've lost a loved one. Or I'm sick. And any of these things are just killing me inside. Do I pray for God to take that, that circumstance away? Or do I pray for him to give me the strength to get through it? What do I do? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I've struggled with that so much. Like, do I pray, God, that you take this away? Or do I pray that you give me strength to just get through it? And there will someday be a time when this isn't happening anymore. I don't know what to pray in those moments. And the reason why I know this is what it's talking about is because the previous chapter in Romans 8, no, the previous paragraph, excuse me, is talking about this whole creation, how it's corrupt and groaning and burdened and in pain. And we don't know what to pray at times because we're in so much pain. Maybe praying in the spirit for you at times just means bathing in this verse. Verse knowing that the Holy Spirit of God is praying for you. That is profound. When you don't even know what to say. So, praying in the Spirit means praying the words of Scripture and maybe sometimes just letting Him pray for you. And look what this also includes or brings with it. Continue in the verse. Verse 18, Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the Spirit with, so it's bringing with it something else. All prayers and supplications, it could just be read with all kinds of prayers and supplications. So praying in the Spirit leads you to pray publicly, privately, corporately, individually, confessionally, meditation, contemplation where you just enjoy him. interceding, for, praying for other people, praying for the kingdom, praying for the church, praying, praying for your own temptations, praying for suffering, all kinds of prayers. It can't just be, Lord, give me a job. The Spirit leads us to pray for all kinds of things. This is what, the profoundly, excuse me, the profound thing about this God is that he has so much more to offer than release from your daily anxieties or financial security. He has so much more to offer you than that. And praying in the Spirit leads you into the different, various, manifold, beautiful avenues that we can experience Him in greater, powerful ways. Okay? So, even still, though, We all know it is easy to lose our focus in urgency and praying at times. Okay, so this leads us to the to the next characteristic. So first it's opportunistic. Secondly, it's it's in the spirit. And third, it's focused. It's focused. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayers and supplications. To that end, keep alert. To what end? Praying in the spirit. Keep alert. What does that word keep alert mean? It means this, and I'll explain how I know this in a second. Pray as if the Lord were coming at any moment. Urgency. Focus. The reason why I say this is because anytime this phrase, keep alert, keep watch, watch yourself, it's always in reference to, I wrote it down here, I don't want to mess this up, It's always talking about a continued focus upon the kingdom of God in light of the future coming of Christ. Should I say that again? A continued focus upon the kingdom of God in light of the future coming of Christ. To prove my point, Luke 21, this is Jesus talking, 34 to 36. It's not gonna be up here, so just listen. Jesus said, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down. With dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Oh, the cares of this life can just, ugh, just weigh you down. And that day, he's talking about when he comes back, when Christ comes to bring the kingdom fully, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole work, but stay awake. Same phrase. Keep alert, that's the same exact Greek phrase there. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That's why I say keep alert means pray as if the Lord were coming at any moment because Jesus is talking about this too. One of the reasons why I think our prayer life is so dry as well is because we have let the cares of this world drown us. And we just think, I just don't know if I want to be that caught up with the Jesus thing. Today, I've got so many other things to worry about. And again, it just we find ourselves drifting back. Back into that dry, lukewarm, where did all my joy go place in our life. So like one day you're enjoying the Lord and all of a sudden you have no joy for him. No no desire to come to church. No desire to read your Bible. And I think it's because we get so caught up with our iPhones. Emails. Email. Right? (laughs) Jeez. Email. The next episode of Parenthood or Modern Family, which is a funny show. Okay? Okay. We get caught up with these things that dissipate and deaden our desire to be with him in prayer. And this is what happens. We are to pray with a sense of urgency, angst, and deep longing to be with Christ. I thought of this illustration. Imagine a little girl who hasn't seen her daddy in a few days, who's on a business trip. And he's coming home. And he's almost home. And you can just see her in the window, big, clear eyes, and a heart full of joy. And she's just whispering, hurry, Daddy, I miss you. Come home. Do you really think she's going to get caught up with her dollhouse at that moment? She could care less about her dollhouse because Daddy's coming home. You feel that? Like that's, that's, what, that's what I think this is getting at is this type of prayer. Urgency, longing, angst. Come, Lord Jesus, to drive us to deeper prayer. Now, we all know that prayer is hard, but it is the persevering ones that find this great river of delight, which is Christ the Lord, which leads us to the next characteristic. So it's opportunistic, in the spirit, focused. Next, it's persevering. It's persevering. Look at that phrase. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance. This is amazing. This word for perseverance is not the only, the word perseverance is not it's in the Bible a lot but this specific Greek word for perseverance is only found once in the entire Bible. Here. It's pretty amazing. And here's what it means. Strong perseverance which prevails wins finds victory by interacting with God. You see, God makes all of these promises of intense joy and pleasure with him. But sin is when we prefer anything over him. He's he's the greatest joy, yet we we prefer something else. That's sin. And so he had to send his son to die for this blasphemous sin, make us his children, give us his Holy Spirit, which then, and then he, he, by his Holy Spirit, he calls us to deeper, joy-filled life with him. But that doesn't come without hard work in prayer. It doesn't come easy. Because of sin. That's why it's so hard. That, this is why prayer is so hard. So we must persevere in prayer Strive with him. Prevail. Don't let Christ go in prayer. Don't let him go. Cling to him. Hold on to him until your heart is blazing hot with affection for him. It's those who persevere in that moment that experience this great profound joy that he makes all these promises about. Those who do not let him go, who experience the great and mighty power of God working through them when he actually does what they ask of him. Those who persevere find this. So don't let him go because on the other side of this prayer there is a monsoon of joy. But it's only those who persevere. We need to st- I don't know what your, your experiences with, with, with fathers is, whether it's good or bad or great or, or terrible. I don't know what your experience is with, with a father. But this one is perfect. And he's 100% trustworthy. And we need to start trusting him that if we just persevere in prayer, Father, I, I trust you're going to come through. You need to start trusting him. That all these promises he makes are actually going to happen. Trust him today. Last characteristic, but not all prayer can be for ourselves, right? Uh, Which leads us to to the last one. It's intercessory. Praying for other people, right? The last phrase, making supplications for all the saints. Interceding just means going to the Father through Jesus for someone else. A saint is not A varsity Christian. It's just been—it's anyone who's trusted Christ and the holiness of Christ has been given to them by grace. So His holiness is mine now by grace. I don't stand tall in self-righteousness; rather, I'm humbled because I'm righteous before God not by my own works but His. How profound is that? That's what a saint is. There are so many people in this church who are afflicted and burdened and exhausted and experiencing things that that are so hard. If that is you, you need to find other brothers and sisters who have great love for the Lord and say, pray for me. Pray for me. This is what characteristic of prayer, it can't just be for ourselves. It has to be for other people as well because there are too many people with burdens that only God can relieve. So, um, just a couple questions. And then we'll, we'll start coming to a close. Uh, do you pray for Pastor Mike? Pray for his protection, for his love for Jesus, for his preaching, for his organization, for his leadership, for his stamina. Do you pray for him? Because in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it talks about submitting to your leaders because if you don't, they're gonna be doing it in a very begrudging way. And if your pastor's not happy that's no advantage to you. Unhappy, unhealthy pastors make unhealthy congregations. Do you pray for him? Do you pray for the future elders? Do you pray for the health of this church? Do you pray for other people who are burdened? These are types of questions we need to start asking ourselves. Um, This is pretty scary. A book just came out called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And it's this guy who just went around and found churches that died and he investigated what he wanted to find out why did they die what was it one of the reasons why a lot of these churches if not all of them died one of the main ones they stopped praying together and for each other if we don't take this seriously this church will crumble prayer gatherings last Wednesday of every month, that's gonna keep this church alive. It's gonna keep it from deceasing. Because only Christ can build the church. And he's ordained the means of prayer, us asking him, pleading with him, do what you have promised to do. So, um, last question, I, I wanna, before I get on to the hindrances of prayer and practical things, because what, what, What's really what's really the difference between Christian prayer and all other prayer, including atheists? I just read a book. A study came out in 2004 that 30 percent of atheists admit to praying sometimes. Keyword: admit. So that means more do. So if you're an atheist in here, are you sure? (laughs) Are you sure? And I'm not. Are you sure? You ever prayed before? You know. God is here. And Jesus is real and he's alive. Trust him today. Make this quick. The primary goal for religious people is to be to make God do something for them. To get something from God. You gotta be good and pray good, and then God will give you something. That's not Christian prayer. So what gets the thing is your goodness. Prayer for irreligious people is, to, is for God, lowercase g, to become them. To be united with the vague oneness. So you're not really actually praying to a person. You're just praying to yourself. And even then, it's dependent upon how good you are at praying. So in both cases... It's a self-righteous form of prayer. Not so with Christianity, which is why one of the reasons why I'm a Christian because it's, it's so utterly different from everything else. We pray primarily to enjoy a heavenly father because we know that we do not deserve to be, to, to be heard by him, to be forsaken by him. But God himself is, in Jesus Christ, experienced the hellfire of forsakenness on the cross for us so that we could gaze upon the face of the Lord that only Jesus deserved. He got the silence from God that we deserve so that we could receive the face of the Lord forever. That's grace. That is what is different about Christian prayer as opposed to the other type of prayer. So, those are the characteristics of prayer. Jesus is the great mediator. He's the great interceder. He's the great glory of God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he saw, when he was praying, he saw the wrath of God and it made him sweat blood. He saw the wrath of God that he was going to experience in our place and he sweat blood. He said, Father, is there any other way? Not my will, but yours be done. And he went into it for us so that we could be free and enjoy him forever. That's grace. So why don't we pray like we're commanded to, okay? Why don't we pray? Um, a few reasons, and, and these will be short. Un, number one, we don't pray because of unbelief. Uh, you simply don't believe prayer is important or actually works And here's my challenge to you, probably because you prayed like a religious person. Uh, You thought, maybe, I'm not saying this is the case, you might have thought, if I'm good and I pray really hard, he will give me what I really want, not him. Right? And then it didn't work out and you're like, this this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Friends, he's already given you the greatest gift of himself. And so you, like Jesus, can trust him even when he calls you through something different. Excuse me, difficult. I think you might have used prayer incorrectly, which is why you have unbelief. Number two, we're far too easily satisfied. Um, you've heard about this great joy found in Christ, um, but you've just settled for something else. You just can't really, be- is, is it- you can't imagine the joy actually being better than what your life is now. And so you just settle for something less. Friends, please know that the angels are shocked in horror that you have forsaken such a great pleasure found in Christ alone, and are settling for something like this. Why would you settle for sewer water where you can have the choicest wine? Because you don't know what the choicest wine is like. So like, well, this is all I know. It's sewer water. It's good. Right? Turn to him. Uh, next, we have idols in our hearts. There are things that you love more than Jesus and you simply won't let them go. There's this terrifying passage in Ezekiel 14 when these people come to pray to the Lord. And he tells Ezekiel, he says, um, these people have idols in their hearts and I see them. Tell them I'm not going to listen to them until they remove those. That's terrifying. That we have exchanged God for something else and we're holding on to it don't want to let it go and he's saying you got to let that go, I'm not talking to you it's a painful thing but you have to know that sin is us exchanging God for something else but the gospel is that God exchanged himself for us and let that change you and turn back to him uh, next in the last one, this one might sting a little bit, it's unconfessed sin ugh This one stings a little bit. You want to pray, you do, you really do. You want to pray, but you know that if you do, then God is not, that if you speak with him, he's gonna pester you about that one thing until you confess it. And so you're like, ugh, I don't wanna deal with that, so I'm just not gonna pray. Or you do something like, I'll just pray really fast, and then run away from God. Because if I, if I stay too long, he's going to convict me and I'll have to go confess it. Um, let me just read some verses. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the wo- woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Ugh! wow. Um, I know this from experience, so if you're, if you're listening to me talk about this confession thing and you're going, oh my gosh, that is me. It's because I experienced it too, okay? Um, there is freedom found in letting it go, and confessing. The grace of God is sufficient. Another one, he who con- whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and for- forsakes them will obtain mercy. One more verse. For this is, for when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my, gro- my groaning all day long. I think his bones literally didn't disintegrate. Okay, what he's talking about here is physically you need food to survive, but if you're not surviving on God, your spirit will wither. That's what he's talking about. He had unconfessed sin. He, Mm-mm, I'm not. No, I'm not going to confess it. No way. Hurt too much. He's like, all right. Then you're just separating yourself from the very thing that gives life to your spirit. And so you just wither away and eventually you'll just look to something else to fill that. Um, think about it. As long as there is an elephant in the room between friends, uh, things will be very surfacy and fake until someone comes out. Your relationship with God will be very fake and surfacy lacking in great depth if you don't just come out to him or maybe to someone else. Let me just be tender to you. If this is you, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Jesus already died for that sin you don't want to confess. He already died for it. And he already proved to the world you were a sinner and he needed to die for you, but his grace is sufficient to heal you. It's a foolish exchange to, to hold on to it and lack intimacy with God because you just don't want to let it go. I think that's the biggest one. That's why I wanted to end on it. Um, I think these are some reasons. There's probably more other reasons why we don't pray, but I think these are some big ones. Last thing, how do we pray, Okay. Let's come to a close. Let's get really practical here. Very practical. Um, number one, you got to admit that you stink at praying. <laughs> and that you desperately need it. You got you to admit to it. And call it what it is. It's sin. Uh, not praying is sin. It is. Neglecting your father is not Okay. Forsaking your father is not, it's not okay. Just call it what it is, and know that his grace is profound, and he loves his children. Okay, so admit you stink of praying, call it what it is, just, bleh, just get it out. Uh, number two, got to make a plan. You have to make a plan. If you don't make a plan, you're not going to pray. When are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Decide that. You've got to decide it. Um, if you're not, if you're, if you're really lacking in serious prayer, just start small. Five, ten minutes. Five to ten minutes of serious prayer. That's it. Disciplined and stick with it. Um, if, you're, if you're really good at it, if, you're, if you find yourself in a good place with prayer, add another time in the day. Maybe morning and evening. Maybe morning and evening middle of the day, and at night. I started something at lunchtime that I do. It is so amazing. Because it recenters my mind on heavenly things on Christ for that second half of the day. Make a plan. Uh, start small. Uh, no distractions. Put the phone away. I can't tell you how many times I've checked my email before I prayed, Ooh, and something bothered me about that email that I got, and it distracted me, and I couldn't focus. You just gotta put it all away. Um, Okay, so let's say you actually sit down. Okay, you're sitting down, now it's time to pray. Step one is called evocation. It just, it's a fancy word for ask His help. Ask for his help. God, help me to pray. Father, help me to pray. Help me. That's all it is. Step two is meditation. Birth out of scripture. Read a passage of scripture See the acronym ACS, Adoration, Confession, Supplication. What's something in the verse you see that you can adore God for? Confession. What's something in the verse you see that reveals sin in your own life that you you could confess to him? And S, Supplication. What do you see in here, or what do you found here, that you could pray them to him about? Okay? The next step is called Word Prayer. You just simply pray those things you wrote out. You pray those things that you could, and you just start adoring him and praising him in your prayer, and then you work to confession. Lord, here's where I need to confess to you, and the Lord, here's where I can start praying to you. Help me with this. Okay, and the next step is free prayer. You guys are gonna love this, all right? Um, Evocation to meditation. That's like being in New Jersey, okay? It's hard work, it's kind of dirty. Word prayer is like the George Washington Bridge. It it carries you over into New York City, which is the free prayer. You want to get to free prayer where you're just enjoying him, praying to him, asking things of him. I think the meditation part where you find something in scripture that stirs your heart and you pray that, that's like the George Washington Bridge taking you, carrying you over from Bible study to deep prayer, okay? Next is contemplation. Just enjoy them. Whatever you've discovered that day, whatever you've—if it was a good prayer—just just sit there and enjoy them. Thank you, Lord. You are good. And say, "Amen." That's a very—that's a—that's a very basic prayer. Uh, I'm going to make a, a bunch of different outlines, different types of prayer plans uh, for beginner, middle, experienced. Uh, and, I'll, and we will put them on the website for you guys if you'd like to access them. So if you're I'm kind of beginning or I'm in the middle or I've got to grow a lot or I'm doing great, I need some more help, uh, we will put those online. Last but not least, fight for it to the death. Uh, here's the last thing i will say, and then I'm done. Fight for it to death, knowing that there's this, there's this time when Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he talks about what father when a son asks him for food, would give him a scorpion. How much more will your heavenly father give you things that are good if you who are evil give your sons things that are good? Remember that Jesus did receive the scorpion. He got the sting of death for you so that you could be freed and enjoy communion with Christ. Remember that always. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm just going to do this here to model it for you guys. So I'm going to read a psalm. Um, Here's the last thing we'll do. All right. Psalm 103. It's, It's a great one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you because you are the only one that's worthy to be blessed, to be praised. You are a God with great benefits. You are a redeemer, a healer, a forgiver, a crowner of sinners. You give us good things. You are worthy to be praised. And Lord, I confess to you that I do forget these benefits. I do forget these benefits, that you are a good father, that you heal my diseases, that you forgive my iniquities, that you have redeemed my life from the pit, and you, for some crazy reason, crown me with steadfast love. Oh, you are to be praised. I confess that I forget that. Forgive me, Lord. And Lord, I ask and I beg you, Lord, by your grace and by your mercy, may we as a church never forget these great benefits that we have. May you protect this church. May we always meditate on these great benefits we have with a good Father. And we pray all these things in Jesus' awesome name. Amen.